A doctor fights for the life he has known. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Thomas Grayboys. Dr. Grayboys is professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, president emeritus of the Lound Cardiovascular Research Foundation in Brookline, Massachusetts, senior physician at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Thank you very much, Dr. Grayboys, for joining us today. My pleasure. We're going to be discussing your recent book, Life in the Balance, a physician's memoir of life, love, and loss with Parkinson's disease and dementia. To begin with, what made you write this book? There are many factors that came to bear in the decision. Early on, after my first wife died from cancer, I went into a kind of a spiral. And during that time, uh, a number of people urged me to tell the story. And Boston Globe did a piece on me, which was very well received, and decided to put it together and got a publisher, and the rest is history. When you wrote it, who did you mean it for, and why? I thought uh, that we were dealing with the kind of the bare-bones issues of Parkinson's, and what sprung out of that was then a lot of interest in other areas. It wasn't just Parkinson's, it may have been multiple sclerosis or other prolonged degenerative diseases. And as we spoke earlier, there's clearly a sensitive cord that was touched because we're having people call, buy the book, and not just one book, they'll buy three or four books, and they want to give it to families, and, and the word is out that there's solid material in there that helps anyone deal with chronic long-standing disease states. Yes, and I was struck by it. I've read the book and enjoyed it, and there was so much that applied uh, to my own practice and to my own life personally. One of the key points I always felt when I read your book was how to live with dignity with an undignified disease. And by undignified disease, what the disease has done to you physically and mentally. How do you deal with that? What were the tools that you brought to bear? I try not to whine too much, the whining, which is a waste of energy. And I have a certain amount of energy that's available to me each day. And I have just essentially said, look, you know, you have to deal each day as it comes. I've got a tremendous support system. My wife, who I'm now married to, is on a 24-7 plan. Nothing that she thought was any less than a big surprise. Yeah, that's Vicki, and certainly she's a big part of your book. One of the things I, I was struck by, I've seen this in other physicians, and probably I have some of the same traits. Why is it so difficult for a doctor to, quote, come out with an illness that he has? And why is it so difficult for him to even talk to his colleagues about it? I mean, physicians in general have a variety of adjectives to explain that question meaning that I have a certain level of arrogance that I thought I knew more than my colleagues. And I wanted to do as, as much as possible, control my environment. Losing control is part of the whole project. The first title of the book was going to be Losing Control because each day there's a little piece of my independence chipping away and I'm holding on to it voraciously. It's not an easy task. And originally, over a period of probably a year, I was doing everything I can to deny that there was something going wrong. 
And my wife at that time said, you know, you you have to understand this, that the world knows what's going on. You're not keeping anyone from it. So this kind of a yin and the yang back and forth, it's in the hopes that we can find kind of a way to maintain dignity during situations which, as you said, have little dignity. And each day I get up and I try to figure out how the day is going to be. I think it's very important, I tell folks who ask me about it, that you have a, a plan. And the plan involves what am I going to do during this day? How am I integrating an exercise program, diet, massage therapy, yoga? And it does two things. One is it gets, it gets you up and out. And many spouses who were caretakers told me, uh, you've got you to encourage John to get up and get out of bed and involute. You discuss that in, in your book. You actually have it. Why do we keep our body in motion? And I was struck that one of the things that you now do is ride on a spin bike, which is something that I wouldn't even attempt to do. But what is getting on the spin bike in a class and often probably being better than many of the other people mean to you as far as self-esteem and as far as how you view yourself? Well, self-esteem regarding myself, this is a situation that I'm trying again trying to control my environment so it's in the spinning it's me trying trying definitely to control my environment because most of the people who are doing spinning are younger than I am by a factor of 10 to 20 years but as far as spinning is going as an exercise it is tremendously zen it allows me to, to do an aggressive amount of exercise having lost my ability to play tennis and ski and I had been a high school and college miler, which did help me to have the discipline about daily activities. If you're just joining us, I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Thomas Grayboys. Dr. Grayboys is a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and the recent author of Life in the Balance, a physician's memoir of life, love, and loss with Parkinson's disease and dementia. It's not uncommon for doctors to treat themselves, but usually they treat a disease they're familiar with, i.e. an internist might treat his own diabetes until he realizes that he, as as we often say, he has a fool for a patient. But he certainly wouldn't necessarily treat himself if he had, say, macular degeneration. You're a world-famous cardiologist and have been struck with a neurologic disease. Why did it take you so long to really get into, say, the medical system for care? The internal furies with me were legion. Each day brought new challenges. Uh, Each day put me in a situation where I had to ask myself, who am I going to discuss this with? And I carefully selected two individuals who were responsible for my neurologic care as well as for psychiatric care. And without them, it would have been very difficult. Part of it is because, as I mentioned, I tend to be, our physicians as patients have a certain level of arrogance, at least I did, assuming that I knew more than the doctors. That's changed. I have incredible amounts of support and incredible amounts of acknowledgement that this is a long-term effect. You know, most people, as you know, have a disease and the disease stops and it's, it's gone. 
with these kinds of problems like Parkinson's, there's no guarantee about how long it's going to go. And it's going to go on typically for years and years. So faced with that, it's important to kind of regulate your life and how you're dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. Your team indeed was a neurologist and a psychotherapist, a psychotherapist you had known for a long time and indeed was very important to you long before you became ill. I want to ask you, did you have a long-standing relationship with an internist or a family doctor? No, I haven't seen my PCP, my primary care physician. The theoretic was, you know, your, your primary care physician would orchestrate the care. But the fact is that I generally would know more about Parkinson's and learned than my primary care physician, and that's understandable. I needed two individuals who could deal specifically with the, the mechanics of the process of my dealing with the disease. Where I was going with that question was, if you had had such a relationship, that physician, although he certainly couldn't compare to your neurologist with knowledge, might have noticed a change before it became apparent, say, to your nurse and to your partners. Early in your book, you mentioned, I asked a friend of mine if he had noticed, or she had noticed, I can't remember which, if they had seen any changes. Do you remember that particular part? And I always wondered who that person was that you selected to be less vulnerable with to say, is there anything different about me? The scenario that you may be referring to is the fact that I was one day having seen a large number of patients and knowing that people have been kind of discussing how I'm doing. There was a lot of the emperor wears no clothes. People were doing everything they can not to give me that diagnosis, and that was based on my wishes to let me see if I can deal with it myself. And in retrospect, it was foolish. It complicated the whole situation. But yet I also was sensitive and appreciative that my colleagues, and particularly the nurse practitioner that I've worked with for 30 years, that they were really doing the best they could for, for me, and I was kind of an obstructionist. And it continues to go on at some level. Did I take the medication? Oh, am I doing the, the right blood work? And I have respect for them, and I think that's come a long way. I noticed that uh, in your book you adjust your doses uh, of your medicines, and I wonder, do you look at the re- risk-reward differently with yourself than you did with your own patients? No, I uh, was committed to do what they told me to do, and I've been taking a wide array of medications now for the last year. I mean, first of all, I had terrible problems with some of the other drugs for Parkinson's. One trial almost did me in. So I'm very sensitive about that. Part of it is because of my cardiology training. If there's something going wrong, it probably is. And I took a minimalist approach to the use of medications, particularly if the patient had minimal symptoms. I couldn't help but think about another book and another author we have had on, Dr. Robert Klitzman, who wrote a book recently, When Doctors Become Patients. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's so much of you in his book. And of course, his book deals with the scientific type of research dealing with people with chronic disease. One of the things he talks about is the magic coat that doctors often think they wear. Do you think you had, during part of your illness, the magic coat? I go through this periodically, and I have all kinds of different things. That, you know, I'll feel, I'll get my window of time during the day where I'm feeling really good. I say, 
okay, great. You know, everyone's made the big mistake, and I'm much better, and I'm going to be better. And that, of course, is magical thinking. Another quote that I, you know, think of with you, and when I've read this book, is Jerome Groupman's recent quote is, and you use it in your book, hope gives us the courage to confront our circumstances and the capacity to surmount them. I think all our listeners should read this book because it tells about a physician, and as you know, our audience are mainly physicians. We all understand the struggles that you go through every day. We wish we had the kind of courage that you've exhibited. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Grayboys for being our guest today, and I encourage all of us to read Life in the Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.